It is 9.38, and it is time for Gardening with Barb and Karen. Good morning, Barb. Hey, good morning, Karen. And you know, it's a sunny morning. It is so beautiful. The signs of spring are all around us. I've had things popping out of the ground, as I'm sure you, you have been, too. Yes, I have. Hey, here's the good news that uh, I'm just overjoyed with. Um, the um, uh, Democrats passed the COVID COVID bill for $1.9 trillion, which is the relief bill. It's going to help boost the economy, help the schools, um, speed up uh, vaccine, and all of these great things. And according to the president, by May 1st, uh, anybody 18 or older should be able to get their vaccine. And I hear the good news is that you and your husband were able to get yours this past weekend. Yes, we were, and it was very simple. Didn't have a sore arm, no swelling, no nothing at all. So, um, and that was the Johnson and Johnson one-shot deal. So, well, good. So, do yep. you feel better now? Do you feel a little? I don't know. You know, it's kind of it's it's kind of like a weight being lifted. So, you know how you make a checklist, things you have yep. to do, and as you check them off, you always feel better because you got them done. Well, that feels better. We still have to wear our masks and practice social distancing and, um, you know, just just wash your hands and just do all the things you were doing before. But you do have this assurance that at least you have had the vaccine. So, you know, last week we talked about this being uh, Women's History Month, and you and I talked about the important women in our lives, those that we've grown up with. And I said this week we would start recognizing somebody nationally who's been really important to all of us. And I thought I chose today to talk about Rachel Carson. She ah, wrote, yes. She wrote Silent Spring and, and gardeners, environmentalists, people were just amazed by her book, and she changed our thinking on the safety of pesticides. She herself had written other books before. She she was a scientist, and she was recognized as one of the most respected science writers in America. So when she started writing, she wondered if maybe there was a connection between disease and the pesticides that were spraying in the environment. She herself had cancer. She had breast cancer, and she had a radical mastectomy, and she was undergoing chemo for it. But she continued to write and to research, and when she published her book in 1962, she was met with uh, being called names, uh, the big corporations that were profiting from selling of pesticides called her a hysterical female. She didn't know what she was talking about. But you know what? People read that book, especially women, and they're saying, yeah, I think there is. This is right. The evidence, what she's saying in her book, is pointing to the fact that there's a relationship between this. We're seeing this with the um, in nature, the eagles that were becoming less and less because they were ingesting this DDT and they had thinning of the um, shells on the eggs that they were laying. Consequently, 
their hatches didn't come into fruition. And so there was lots of evidence to that fact. And the other thing that was against her, the American Medical Association also said there wasn't a connection. They went against her, but she said she just stuck with it. She testified before Congress, and then Congress began to, President Kennedy began to take a look at, uh, is there a connection? And finally, uh, people began to recognize that DDT Mm -hmm. was a bad thing for us. It wasn't a good thing. And the thing that made this so difficult, Karen, is that the person, the scientists that invented DDT, um, they got a Nobel Prize for doing that. Can you imagine being a woman and a scientist and trying to um, tell people, you know, this isn't good for you, this is harmful? So in um, 1962, her book was, was published, and uh, just people just read it, and, and, you know, all kinds of people began to just become activists. As a matter of fact, she's credited with being starting the environmental movement. 1964, she dies of cancer. She was 56 years old, and just, you know, uh, a short life. Yep, but definitely one of those women to remember. Is it, is it Carson or Carlson? Rachel? It's Carson. Carson, okay. S-O-N, right? That's one that we're learning. We're doing the Wildlife Bowl with the 4-H kids, and she's one of them as, as well as Aldo Leopold and Rachel Carson are the two uh, people that they've noted as significant people with impacts on our environment. So uh, I recently learned about who she was, too. Well, that is great. You know, I've been reading her for a long time now, but one of the things I didn't realize until I read another book was that she had credited, you know, just uh, citizen, citizen activists as much as scientists for making her work possible. And so for your kids, that is one thing for them to take note is that we can all be uh, citizen activists. We can all watch what's happening in nature and we can get out and we can support these things to protect nature one of the things she also said was in her book that i like to read is the right of citizens to be secure in their own home against the intrusion of poisons applied by other persons must surely be a basic human right you know she was the first to challenge the government that they needed to take responsibility for what was going on. And that is so important. And we say this, you and I, we talk about this all the time, about people that apply unnecessary chemicals, and then it affects all of us. You should be safe in your own home. You should not have to be affected by these pesticides that are so harmful. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been doing more with getting rid of more lawn and planting more natives. And so that's something I've got on my radar because, I mean, the, I want to have some lawn, but I'm looking at now planting what's called micro clover. I don't know if you've heard of it, but no, I well, it's, it's like clover, but it's micro, meaning it was bred to be smaller. So there's smaller leaves and even some uh, golf courses are now adapting using this because it, it because they are smaller leaves it looks more 
neat and trim because some people a part of they object to with clover and things is that it all looks kind of like messy but this micro clover the seed's more expensive because you know it's one of those that was bred but it's same effect where you don't have to fertilize it because it's got you know it's nitrogen produces its own nitrogen injects it into the soil and so I'm thinking of doing a mix because that's what they also recommend is taking this micro clover and mixing it maybe with your Kentucky bluegrass so you can have uh, and then like in the summer you know when your your bluegrass goes dormant this will maintain that green so you'll have sure. still some green and it's soft underfoot and it does it's not quite as aggressive as regular clover so you know it'll take a little while maybe to to get more established but i i read about that in a garden article that when i was you know i always look at art you and I always read garden stuff and sure. i just thought wow that sounds like something i really want to try so i think i'm going to do that especially along the steep roadside where I've got grass and I hate to mow it and maybe mix some of those microgreens because you can still mow it so if if you want but it doesn't get very anything over three inches so if you want to don't want it to go to seed you can you know mow it down otherwise those flowers are excellent food for the bees and other pollinators you know and that's great because in my lawn now I have um, native uh, violets uh, that I started in my perennial bed and of course they have escaped and they are blended in and what I love so much about them is that they bloom early and and we see bees uh, visiting them so there are things you can you can blend in with that grass and, uh, and you're going to still have that nice effect uh, where it's not going to look unruly. So we need to start thinking about that. I'm glad to hear about this, Michael Clover, and I hope that you will take some pictures and let us know how that goes. Well, it's something I'm going to, like I said, it's going to be this spring because the best time to plant things like grasses are in the fall, but spring, early, early spring is the next best time because you've got the moisture and stuff. The other good thing about this, it doesn't require the input that you need for like your typical bluegrass. You don't right. have to have as much water and you don't need to, all the, the herbicides and things. And it's, they say it's really good at crowding out weeds. So uh, I thought, wow, that's a, a win-win. Yeah. You know, one of the things we, we learned last year was about the Japanese beetle. They really like our bluegrass, and they like to get into the, the turf and, and get underneath and start eating up the, the, uh, the roots, roots and yeah. things. I wonder if the, uh, this clover would be something that the Japanese beetle doesn't like, that they wouldn't be destroying. That would be interesting well, to know. I'm not sure about that. I know they like a lot of things, so the, the sure. I'll have to check on that. I, I just know that. I think I'm going to try it anyway, no matter what. So uh, Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Hey, you know, talking about um, different early plants, we got an interesting bulletin this past week about squill or cilia. Yeah, those are those little, they're, they're really light blue little flowers that come up first thing in the spring, right? Yes, they are. And, and Karen, they can be, um, a, they're actually, when you look at them, the flower, which is very small, it's actually blue and white. And then there's also the purple one. And the bulletin said from the university said they can easily become uh, invasive. They're non-native to our state. But I was surprised by this because um, I've had a patch of cilia, and I suppose 
it's probably not in full sun. Maybe it was in full sun, it would be moving around. But I bought here years ago a package of mixed bulbs, string bulbs, Mm -hmm. and you know how they look so beautiful. It makes them mad. There was the cilia coming, and that was blooming, and then the the crocus were coming up, and daffodils, and tulips. So I thought, oh, yeah, try that. And uh, it, 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 I think if this is going to be invasive, if you are a person who loves to put in spring bulbs, be sure then that you're not buying a mix that includes this. You can either see um, uh, squill is the common name, cilia, uh, cyricata is the um, genus and species. So be sure that you don't get that. Um, it, it, it propagates itself two different ways. It blooms early, it gets seed heads, those seed heads burst, and they go all over. And then also, if you disturb a planting and these little bulblets come with it, it just propagates very, very easily from those little bulblets as well. And you may not even notice them in the soil when you've been digging or planting. Well, you know, I think I, I think I told you this. I think I saw one of those little squill, and I'm like, oh, how cool, I've got one, and I didn't even plant it. And you said maybe that came from yours when I transplanted yeah. some from plants from your garden. And that's, <clears throat> you know, that brings up to me when you share plants with others, make sure you're not sharing things like the jumping worm. Um, yes. And that's, that is something I'm really worried about because that can really ruin an environment. And so, you know, when, even with all these plant sales, I know they come up, I'm going to be so much more careful. In fact, they, they almost, they recommend, actually, when you get the plant, take the soil off so you can see, are you good, you know, do you see any yeah. of the worms? <clears throat> and you can't always see the, the cocoons. So that is, is something kind of like the virus X when you share hosta you got to be so careful. So, you know, we just got to keep that in mind. And obviously you can share things like invasive weeds, too. Yeah, exactly. That that is so true. And then that brings us to diversity. I just wanted to say, you know, I read in the paper that I think we're going to have to take down 1,500 ash trees in, in Mankato. And that just breaks my heart that when you overplant, Diversity is so important in nature. It's, it's, it's just you can't plant um, continuous rows of the same variety of trees and expect that there's not going to be a problem. I found a, an old Chinese proverb, and it said, one generation plants the tree and another generation gets the shade. But I thought today's a new proverb would be... okay. <laughs> One generation overplants the trees, <laughs> and another generation gets to pay to replace them. Oh and take dear! Them down. I mean, isn't it true though? If it's overplanted, um, I think sometimes we need more citizen input into public planting. I do notice now when when the cities are planting trees, they are planting so much more diverse trees. You know, there's the road, I don't know what it's called, that goes past the the hilltop high V that goes out to, uh, I think it connects with, I don't know, was it 22 or whatever that road is out 
sure, there. Sure. And and I mean, they have a variety. You can see ginkgo, you can see oak, you can see different trees. And I think that's so wonderful. So if let's yep. say there gets an oak wilt in there and the oaks die, well, at least you've still got the others. And you know, I'm on a, a, some garden sites and people will say, what should I replace such and such? I lost this tree. And I'll say ginkgo and others say, oh, don't plant a ginkgo. It, it grows too slow. Well, it does grow slow, but somebody's got to do it because you know, like right. you said, it's for the future. It, it is. And as a matter of fact, talking about ginkgos, today, if the weather holds, I am going to take my stepladder <clears throat> and go out front, and I'm going to start um, isolating some branches mm-hmm. and maybe putting a tag on them to see. I, I have sort of a ginkgo. It's young but the top looks like a lollipop. Okay. And the branches are too thick in there. You can't just let that happen because you need to harvest sunlight. And you want to see um, the natural form of the tree. And so I think if I just take maybe some some yarn and I'll go first and I'll, I'll put the yarn on the tr- branches I want to prune out and then I'll step back and see. Because when you're up you have your nose yep. up in the uh, the tree. It's hard to say now what is this going to really do. What will what will happen on the other side here then? And it should it should balance. So uh, so I'm going to start. I'm going to try and do that. I was also up to good council this week, and uh, I was surprised to see the garlic is up. It's about six inches tall. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, and one. So I have about eight rhubarb plants. It's a strawberry rhubarb. It's just so great. One of the plants is coming up, and, you know, they make that pink kind of, they push out of the soil, and they're pink, and and there it is. And, and I thought, you know, isn't nature amazing? One place right here is just that much better where this this clump of rhubarb is going to get a start on the rest. The microclimates that we have, yeah. You know, I did this this past weekend. I pruned a lot of things um, because, you know, somebody walked by as I was pruning, and they said, well, isn't it a little early to be doing that? And no, this is a perfect time to be pruning because you want to get them before the they start to leaf out because sure. they're dormant still. So I actually... Uh, renewal pruned some of those willow shrubs that I have because basically they start to get really unruly. So uh, when you renewal prune, these are the kind that you can cut down to the ground and they'll come back and they'll look real nice then. So that's one of them I did. So I had just a giant pile of, of sticks and twigs. And the other thing I did is I cut down an arborvitae. It was a case of way back when Jeff first built the house, 18 or 20 or whatever, I don't know how many years ago, it will, it looked great on the corner. But then it grew and it grew and it grew. And, and so what had happened, it grew in so it was touching the, the eaves. And then, of course, what happens then is it damages shingles and things. So we basically just cut that down to the ground, too, and, and we'll just have to find something else to replace that with. So you got to, I think that's such an important thing is look at the size it's going to be not the size you get it it's so tiny but and i think if you buy a house a lot of times landscapers will put that in things in so they look really good but then down the line what are you going to deal with that's such an important thing to consider sure and you know with arborvitae at least up here where we are um we had three or four arborvitae in the front yard that the deer they they just eat them they they it seems to be a winter thing that mm-hmm. they come in 
and they come in at night and they and so when uh aren't providing when a section is eaten it doesn't come back it's not like another shrub and you can't top it and bring it down to that point and think you're going to get a nice no you have to really get rid of the whole thing right. so um that was a problem here and we got rid of those now this um this summer I'm going to be working on a plan for doing some different foundation plantings up front, but um, I'm going to really take my time and think about um, what, how much maintenance I want to do, what's safe. I just don't want to have this problem with the deer that we've had in the past, and also rabbits, you know. The rabbits can be very destructive, too, especially to arborvitae. They get hungry in the wintertime. They go on top of the snowbank, and they eat around, um, and you're left with an unsightly thing. So life is really too short for that. And I think as we get older, we change some some of our things, what we want to do, too. Like, you've gotten older, you want maybe less maintenance, and, oh, yes. and so, you know, I love my gardens, but I, I have to look at, well, will I be able to do this in 10 years, for example? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, things change, too. It's like this squill or cilia becoming invasive. We have put in things over the years, and, uh, and they wouldn't be the best choices today, mm-hmm. maybe because uh, th- we've had climate change, and they're not, this isn't the best climate for them, or it's too dry at certain times, things like that. So really when you do plant things, it, it takes some, uh, some thought. And well, there's also part, gardening is also part like gambling too. Sometimes you just take a gamble because you don't know what's going to happen. Yes, you do. You know, um, I, one of the things I did do this week at home here, I cut the rose bushes back. Sometimes in the fall, I'll top them a little bit but um and i did that this year but i knew that i was going to take some more growth off this spring and and i did that and that's really quite good for roses and at that time if you have branches that have decided to cross over from the back side coming up to the front you might as well cut those off or if they're dead too hey do you think i should i have i have the you know that climbing rose that david austin it's an english rose climbing and i actually wrapped it in um cloth over the winter to try to you know to keep it from you know the wind the heavy heavy wind should i unwrap that yet or should i leave it a little bit yeah you know no i i think that um as if it continues to warm up the way it has been I think that would do be okay. okay. I, I wouldn't think that we're going to have any sub-zero temperatures anymore. But surprise, you know, who knows? It's Minnesota, right, Barb? Yeah, it, it's uh, it, like you say, it's all a gamble, isn't it? You well, know? we want to thank you for joining us today, Barb. I hope you have a good weekend, and uh, it's too still too early to be running around and doing stuff in the the grass. Don't be raking that sort True. of thing. Yep. Yeah, it really is. You know, just uh, just control yourself. Hide your pruners or whatever you need to do. Don't dig, for heaven's sakes, and don't walk where you planted before. It just isn't good at all. But you have a good weekend, and don't work too hard, okay? All right, thanks, Barb. Take yep, care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is two minutes past 10, and you're listening to a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick at KMSU Radio.